Albert, what is happening, brother? Uh, not too much. Just hanging out here. Um, awesome. How about you? Awesome. Yeah, well, welcome to the Demystified Podcast episode number two. Uh, you did say my name for all our listeners today. So my name is Justin Ash. I will be your host today. Man, I'm just so excited to be with you all today as we navigate the realms of truly unlocking the myths and mystique, the legend of creating wealth and creating financial freedom. Uh, a quick intro about me. My name is Justin. I'm a CPM in Bellevue, Washington, US of A. Our practice specializes in global business consulting, taxation strategy and mitigation, financial statements, and of course, protecting you from the government through audit defense. We absolutely love the game of commerce. We love working with entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors. Uh, we absolutely believe that providing you with the quality service, providing added value, and providing one of the best content is one of the keys to unlocking the true mystery of uh, wealth creation. So a quick shameless plug, uh, if you'd like to reach our office, uh, please email us. It's admin at justinjash.com. So man, that's admin at justinjash.com. So there's just so much to cover today. Uh, we're going to dive into topics um, such as business, entrepreneurship, investing, management, uh, global economics, finance, regulation, taxation, strategy. So the question, man, in, in a world that's driven by, uh, you know, politics, politicians, corporations, media, propaganda, consumerism, how can we stay centered? So by uh, seeing both opposing sides of the coin, uh, just remain diplomatic in the middle, uh, be able to make rational decisions based on factual uh factual data and uh, evidence. So uh, without further uh, ado, uh, let me tell you this much. I'm super stoked um, uh, to have uh, a friend of mine, uh, a treat for you today, a friend of mine on the podcast. We have special guest, uh, Albert Bowie. Albert is a mortgage planning specialist with New American Funding, a uh, very knowledgeable professional in the world of con conventional money lending. In fact, uh, Albert and I have personally worked on a handful of deals together. Uh, the process was very easy and smooth. Uh, I will vouch for him. Uh, he's a true professional uh, in his field. So, Albert, what's up, brother? You know I'm a huge fan of investing in real estate. What's happening, brother? Yeah, I'm just hanging out here. Um, happy to have me on your show and uh, appreciate being here. Yeah, absolutely, man. And we're, we're all glad to hear from this. So, I mean, you know, we've worked on deals together. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of investing in real estate and holding real estate uh, basically until the day you die. You know, I'm always harping mm -hmm. on my friends and family business uh, network to hold your real estate. I don't like selling real estate. Obviously, we can make uh, a lot of money during the hold by renting it out and cash flowing it. Uh, we can renovate it and uh, strip mm -hmm. out equity to provide liquidity which, uh, of course, debt, that's tax-free, right? So, yeah. And uh, historically, over the long run, prices do tend to appreciate in the real estate market. And, of course, uh, I'm a CPA, so we're going to touch on the tax benefits, depreciation, cost segregation, uh, rolling it into a 1031 exchange or a Delaware statutory trust. Uh, these are all excellent taxation strategies. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, you can pass along this wealth, this real estate to your kids with a stepped up basis uh, after your passing and they choose to sell, uh, they won't pay any tax on the capital gain or the depreciation recapture. It all gets canceled out. So we just love real estate 
And uh, of course, Albert is in the specialty of lending money on real estate. So brother, we're so glad you're here. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, my man. Where do you come from? What are you all about? I'm originally from Orange County and uh, was working at a corporate job. Had knew I was getting into real estate, read that uh, purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, yeah, I knew I wanted to get into real estate, just didn't know how. Um, one day, a loan officer came in at my corporate job and and uh, I hel- I'd helped her out as a client. And, you know, she invited me to, to, you know, learn more about the business and work with her. So on my off hours, I would go over to, to her office and learn how to input files and learn how to, uh, to, to learn the mortgage game and, and the finance side of things. And eventually I ended up doing mortgages. So I've been doing it ever since 2010. And uh, I started investing in Washington State and ended up moving here. So that's how I ended up in Washington and uh, working with you. Awesome. Awesome, man. Yeah. So, so that's, that, that's, that's an excellent story. Uh, what, what, kinda, what do you got going on right now? What are your current endeavors? I, I know uh, you're not only in the, the money lending business, but you're also a, an RE investor yourself. Yeah, basically what I do is uh, I like to purchase smaller multifamilies and uh, I like to fix them up and uh, try to try to get that value add rental out of there try to squeeze it out and and increase those rents to uh, to improve the ROI on the properties so that's what I do on the real estate end yeah absolutely it's all about that ROI man and like I said there's so many different ways that we can make money with real estate you know uh, not only with the the acquisition of it renting it mm-hmm. out uh, but also, like you said, you know, uh, fixing it up and, and stripping out equity and providing liquidity if we need to. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, uh, are there any other ways that? Uh, uh, how do you? So you talked about this add uh, this va- this value added strategy. What exactly? I mean, you're going in to take a look at a property. What exactly are you looking for when you're looking to acquire uh, a property? Uh, one of the metrics we look at is looking to purchase the property below what it costs to build brand new and we do adjust it because let's say the life of the property is 30 or 40 years older than brand new and so let's say cost of building is 120 grand per apartment yep so we do discount that and try to buy below what we think the depreciated cost is or or the cost stripping how old it is let's say it's 30 grand worth of wear and tear so to us it's only worth 90 based on 120 being brand new, then I'm going to try to buy it for less than 90 grand a door with all the rehab in there. So that way I can get a, a competitive advantage against my competitors because the competitors are building it at 120. But if I could buy it with rehab all in it, the repairs too, for 90 per unit, then, then I have a competitive advantage because I could take a lower rent and still remain uh, financially solvent while the competitor purchasing at 120 is going to have a harder time as an, as an example. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's an excellent example, brother. And that's something that I've heard before too. Um, uh, you know, searching for value, you know, I'm always, I'm all about, you know, adding, bringing value, adding value to the marketplace, but also being a value investor, like, you know, like Warren Buffett. And when it comes to real estate, one of the things that you mentioned that I like is uh, you're looking at to purchase, to acquire properties at a basically what you said, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that you're looking to acquire mm-hmm. a price per, per, per square foot uh, to buy yeah. 
uh, lower than than uh, for an existing building, lower than price per square foot to build. That's Correct. huge. Correct. That's yeah, huge. You, you mentioned a good point too, Justin. It was uh, about value investing. So it's kind of like Buffett's concept of buying stocks under the intrinsic value of the company, where where he thinks the value is. So he's buying it under what where he believes it will be or where or where it is currently. And that's the same concept, but we're just applying it to uh, to real estate. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. I love real estate. So tell us, uh, um, uh, let's go back to your lending business a little bit, because uh-huh. of course sure. uh, we always know we like to, you know, finance real estate. We get a better ROI, better return on investment when we're leveraging, uh, mm-hmm. using, utilizing leverage. So what are you seeing right now in the money world? I mean, Albert, like what's up with mm-hmm. my ninja, loan, bro? <laughs> yeah, no, no more ninja loans, but that'd be nice if we had those <laughs> ninja and, and Nina and all those acronyms for no income, no job and no income, no asset loans. But uh, we do have stated loans. It's just you need generally 25 to, to 40 percent down and you'll be able to still use a stated income. It's just there's a lot of down payment involved or equity. Ah, I see. So. I see. Uh can you uh, assume the equity with, with equity and other properties as well? Or uh, how yeah, does that work? You can. You can assume it. But then with any, any bank or lending institution, you're going to have a seasoning period before you can use that equity. And that might be from six months to, to 12 months after you acquire title. Ah, I see. I see. So, okay. So basically, the short end, you're going to have to hold uh, some other properties in your portfolio for a while before you qualify for this loan. Uh, just to clarify the, the actual property you're intending. So let's say you take the property, uh, June 1st and there was 12 months seasoning. That would mean that you wouldn't be able to close on your new stated income loan using equity you bought, you captured, but till June 1st, 2019. So you'd have 12 months in one day or June 2nd, actually June 2nd. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So, so let's get into a little bit about, you know, the demographic, well, like geographically, you know, politically, economically, culturally, like, what do you like about, like, uh, I see, I know you're predominantly here on the West Coast, Washington, you're licensed in other states mm-hmm. as well, you're originally from Orange County, California. Yeah. Um, what do you like about this West Coast market versus other markets that you've worked in or dealt with or you have knowledge about? Uh, it's more cyclical. So when it goes up, it goes up really high and and when it does go down, you know, it does go down quite a bit too. So the good part is if, if you know how to ride it up and you buy it right, you can still make a lot of uh, cash flow and appreciation depending on the market you're in. But the West Coast, I like you get it both if, if you do it right. Yeah. I, yeah. And I know, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, we're, uh, we're pretty fortunate uh, to see, appreci- you know, uh, uh, appreciation rates like in the double digits over the last couple of years. Uh, man, I mean, I know there's this, there's this talk of like, it's too good to be true. And like you said, markets do run in cycles. Uh, I mean, there's mm-hmm. so much debt out in the economy right now, so much money in circulation. Uh, you know what? I mean, I mean, what's going on, brother? I mean, we see uh, cycles tendly, usually tend to run every eight to 10 years. We're about at year 10. What's, uh, what's your take mm-hmm. on all this, man? Now, are you talking about like the economy in general, my opinions of it? Yeah, and as it applies to, yeah, the, the lending world, the real estate world, all that. I might say we're, we're near the top or at there because the lending programs are starting to loosen a little bit. 
Yes. So you can kind of yes, tell they're, they're trying to push through a little bit more volume to keep it going while they plan, you know, the bankers, of course. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you tell. There's, a, there's a feeling of that going on. Yeah. Uh, so is it, I mean, in general, I know you talked about some of those uh, non-stated income loans. Uh, in general, is it getting, I mean, what do you see in the regulation world? Is it getting easier to borrow money? Um, right now it is. It's getting a little bit easier. They're loosening up guidelines, income restrictions for areas. Um, down payments are getting a little lower in certain circumstances. Um, in terms of the investment lending space, uh, it's pretty much the same as it was prior. So no, no big differences there. But they're, So they're focusing mainly on the first-time buyers, the biggest pool, to keep the volume right. going. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but are you still, see, I mean, with prices being, especially here in the Pacific Northwest with prices being as high as they are, you know, especially like Seattle, Bellevue, uh, I mean, are you still seeing a, a strong influx or inflow of first time home buyers? Um, there, there are, but they're having a tough time purchasing because there's a lot of multiple offer situations. So we're currently working with realtors on, on how to overcome that make more aggressive offers or terms that will catch a seller's eye. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, we have that other issue, like you mentioned, you know, low inventory levels. So just, there's just like so many moving parts and, and uh, so many factors at play here, you know, when we're talking about uh, just the economy in general, and especially as it applies to the real estate market, it's really like tough to tell. And then of course, you know, like I said, here in Seattle, we have, you know, the Amazons and the Microsofts and the Boeings and a, a lot of, you know, huge uh, corporations here providing, uh, you know, a lot of jobs. So mm -hmm. uh, it's an interesting beast here. It's an interesting beast. Definitely. Yeah. So, hey, um, so tell us a little bit about, uh, I'm curious, um, how, man, how do you show up in the marketplace? Like just how do you differentiate yourself from the competition? You know, I'm all about bringing value to the market. How do you, how do you bring that added value to the market. Uh, I know you touched on your real estate investing techniques a mm -hmm. little bit before, but let's say, I mean, there's tons of mortgage uh, planning specialists yes. out there. There's tons of brokers. Um, so, I mean, how do you differentiate yourself? Uh, what we do is we're a sp specialist in the planning aspect. So most lenders are going to be focusing on just taking in your paperwork, deciding if you qualify, and then shooting that paperwork in and trying to get it approved and move forward. So what we do is we're, we're a little bit more comprehensive. We're reviewing the past returns, figuring out where the, the borrower wants to be and how to qualify for it. So we're helping them plan in the future too because incomes and lifestyles and, and the amount of money or their credit can change three months down the line or even, even two weeks down the line it can change. If you pay off a credit card, your scores could shoot up. You could be in a different lending position. So we're focusing on the planning, planning aspects long-term helping them acquire wealth through buying rentals or, or real estate, um, helping them advance their lifestyle. If it's a second home or primary residence um, or, or, or how to extract funds from properties and how to intelligently compare those costs versus the opportunities of, of deploying that money elsewhere, whether it's an investment or, or other lifestyle added. So we're trying to look at the comprehensive picture of how to use these mortgage tools because that's how we look at it we look at it as tools to advance yep. their life it doesn't always have to be finance although most of the times it is 
moving money around to advance financially, but it's also to advance lifestyle. So there, there's other aspects to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we all dream about having that portfolio of rental properties that provides that cash flow to, uh, to that passive income stream to, you know, eventually, uh, you know, you know, work less or make more money by, you know, working less hours. That's kind of the dream of, you know, if you've read the purple book, like we talked about, that's, that's kind mm-hmm. of the end goal there. Yeah. The fateful purple book. It changes most people's courses. <laughs> it does. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's the book that I read back in the day. And I, I know I speak to a lot of different people and they read the same book. So uh, I love that book. Uh, I have a question for you though. How does that affect an account, a person who's already in the accounting field when you read that book? Yeah. You know, um, man, there's a lot, you know, the way that I look at it and the way that Robert Kiyosaki talks about it is, you know, when it comes to his cash flow co- uh, quadrant and they have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the employer and the self-employed and the, the big corporation and then mm-hmm. the investor, um, all those different uh, sides of the quadrant have are taxed in different ways. So one mm-hmm. of the things that uh, Robert uh, teaches and one thing that I also teach is, as well is, you know, moving away from being, uh, the nine to five employee moving away from being like the self-employed, uh, you know, dentist or doctor or a high income earner and moving over mm-hmm. from the side of the quadrant over to the right side, because there is huge, massive tax benefits. And especially, you know, as you, and when you mm-hmm. become an investor or if, you, if you're a sophisticated investor, uh, you're taking passive interest in investments or just real estate in general. I mean, there's huge tax benefits to real estate. Like we touched on before, um, you know, the depreciation, we could run cost segregation analysis, 1031 tax exchange. Of course, it's a business. So any money that we make, we can take business tax deduction, legitimate business tax deductions against that. And, uh, you know, it's just huge. The big one, uh, of course, is always depreciation. And that's why, you know, I always see a, a lot of a lot of CPAs preaching about holding depreciation in a self-directed IRA or a solo K. Why? It makes no sense to me because ne- and when you do that, you know, you're no longer getting the benefit of the depreciation tax deduction. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, in the short, uh, yeah, when it comes to that cash flow quadrant, man, I mean, that's kind of the goal, moving from the left side of the quadrant to the right side of the quadrant because we're taxed at lower tax rates. And even we could be taxed at zero, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons I invest. I had a uh, client that uh, I probably in the first year of, of, of doing lending, but I knew I got into lending for investing purposes. So when I saw this investor's uh, tax return, it, it was negative income. He was a real estate professional. I didn't know the term at the time, but I, I remember the scenario. He had uh, probably 35 to 44 plexes and about four to five apartment buildings that were anywhere from from 35 to to about 75 units you could tell because the top line number was income wise was in the hundreds of thousands and then he had his expenses and then he had all this depreciation showing up and it made his entire tax return zero or negative and the other lenders declined the file because they saw that that line come through negative on the, the first page of the tax return so they thought he had no income yep but uh and I was new at the time, so I just took on any file. But when I saw that I had all this rental income, and he he told me his scenario. He was a retired executive, made a lot of a really high six figure income, and bought as many rentals as he could over twenty years. And now he was sitting pretty, and he didn't have to work. And when we added all the depreciation back, he was 
he was in over six figures a month in income. And uh, we got the loan approved. It was the first unique loan I did. And uh, you never forget it because he's where I want it to be or want to be. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that you touched on too is key is uh, in the lending world. uh, I'll just touch on it, but I'll let you go into detail. So for income purposes, we get to add back depreciation and amortization, right? Yeah. and what are some of the other items that we get to add back so as far as um, there's, there's a lot of items that accountants will deduct that, that allow a benefit to the business owner. But on the lending end, we've already calculated the, So the reason we let you add it back are certain items, which I'll go into is because we've already counted it. We don't want to double count it. So one example is we're already counting the borrowers housing expense or primary home. So when we look at a business return and we see somebody writing off their home office, we have to add, we add that back because we don't want to count the home twice. We already counted the, the, let's say the mortgage is three grand for the house. We've already counted the three grand and let's say they, they write off, I don't know, $800 a month for their home office. We, we add that 800 back because we've already counted the 3000. We don't need to double count the house. So there, those, that's one deduction you can add back. Yes. And, you know, I've seen other lenders in the uh, same space that you're in that, like you said, maybe and I see professionals in a lot of different spaces, CPAs, attorneys. It's like, mm-hmm. you just don't know what you don't know, you know, and you brought yeah. up a good point of like, hey, a lot of those lenders just saw the one line, but don't actually understand how the tax return works. And, you know, they're already, you know, passing on the file to where, yeah. Yeah. you know, probably being able to broker a pretty good deal with this guy. So, that's huge. You right. know, I see that in the professional world quite a lot. It's just like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That's um, so true. Yeah. It's, and that's how I got the opportunity to meet, to meet the investor with all those properties. If, if the others didn't decline the file, I probably wouldn't have had that chance to meet them. Yes. So. Yes. Excellent point. Excellent point. So did you uh, want me to uh, go into the other ones, a couple other ones, or how did yeah. you want to do that? Tell us a little bit about uh, some of those other items we can add back. Yeah, some other items you could add back um, will be, like you mentioned, amortization. And uh, you might be able to go further into the the technical side of what that is. But to me, they're the intangible items that were a cost to the transaction originally. So they're they're the life of that, whatever that intangible is, is spread over time. Yeah. So for for tax purposes, I just want to clarify to our listeners, amortization, so depreciation is... uh, you know, we get to take a tax deduction over the life of a tangible asset. Amortization is we get to take a tax deduction over the life of an intangible asset. Items like this are uh, such as, you know, goodwill, uh, a client list. If you're in the real estate world, uh, what I do is, uh, you know, I see, I see a lot of people spending a lot of money on education and uh, like uh, uh, educational events could be, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000. You know, we don't want to take a tax deduction for a hundred percent of that in the first year, because that would throw up a red flag for an audit. Like, you know, like it's nobody's business. So what mm-hmm. I do is choose to amortize it in the way that I do it is over 15 years. And then if they have multiple properties and businesses, what I like to do is allocate it and spread it across those businesses as well. Cause I mean, ideally it does benefit every single entity that the investor has. So we can legitimately take a, a tax deduction, you know, for all that. And I, you know, I, I believe mm-hmm. in working within the four corners of the tax law, you know, of course, when I sign off on a tax return uh, underneath my signature, underneath my signature, it says uh, under penalty of perjury, mm-hmm. I 
yeah. I'm basically stating this tax return is correct. So it's my goal to never be another dude's girlfriend. So uh, I'm always working within the four corners. Of the- <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that's so like I was going with that. There are some other items beyond depreciation and amortization that can be added. Um, oftentimes, some companies, sometimes people are incorporated, so they don't have home office. They, they do a uh, home office like arrangement with their, their corporation where they, they, uh, they pay themselves as an officer or an employee. So it's a similar concept. They add that back too. So let's say they're an employer. They own the whole corporation and they're a realtor and the realtor pays himself a thousand for the use of that home office. So the, the company deducts a thousand per month, but the, uh, you know, off the, the, the tax returns. So we get to add that back as income. So that makes the company look like they made more money, basically. Right. So that might help. That might be the difference of qualifying and not, literally. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what you're talking about there is taking the tax deduction for the home office, someone on the business right. return, and then turning right. it as income on the individual tax return. So, yeah, that's a great strategy yeah. I like to use. Uh, how, you know, we do have de minimis tax uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, elections that we can take. So, you know, depending upon the amount it is, if it's, uh, you know, we can take mm-hmm. small amounts and, and not even claim that income on our tax return well, by claiming safe harbor rules. So maybe 200, 300, 400 bucks a month. You know, we're not even picking up that uh, that income on the individual tax return <clears throat> because be of this election. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, there's some items that actually hurt you too. So for instance, the meal and, and entertainment. It used to be 50%, but what happens is a lender knows that you spent a full dollar, even though you're only deducting 50 cents of it. So we actually hit you for the full dollar. So we, we double that, whatever you expensed for it, because we know you spent the whole thing, even though you're only writing off half of every dollar. Yep. Um, if that's an example. So, so that's one example where it turns the other way. You don't want too much meals and entertainment even. So just to give you a couple examples, I didn't want to leave the audience too with too many dry, dry facts, you know. <laughs> no, this is all good <laughs> yeah. stuff, man. This is all good stuff. Just enough. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> when, right, when I go through these these borrowers, I'm, I'm helping them plan. And that's our value add is we, we do the planning so that they don't have to and kind of let them know when, when they hit certain equity or when the pro- the equity in their property hits certain amount, they can refinance or, or we try to plan all those ahead of time. Nobody knows where the market will be. However, you can kind of guess based on the sales currently, based on how fast they're paying down their principal and every payment. We can kind of help them plan uh, maybe how to get rid of their mortgage insurance, how to uh, you know, pay for their education with cheap debt from a mortgage as opposed to student loan at 6 or 8%. Yep. And uh, some people can't write it off because they make too much. Uh, so we help them plan those with their accountants. And, and that's why we do involve many other professionals like financial planners, uh, tax accountants and specialists, uh, estate planning attorneys, and uh, sometimes family law because uh, divorces are ugly and they do have to do uh, marital dissolutions. So those are the areas of specialty that I work in. And of course, with every lender, they work with realtors. So we do work with some realtors as well. Awesome. Awesome. So what's going on? I mean, in the lending world right now, um, we touched a little bit on it uh, earlier, but let's, uh, let's just talk about, you know, regulation, uh, laws, taxes. I know uh, President Trump just uh, uh, signed, uh, is, is getting rid of the Dodd-Frank 
uh, Act. I'm not sure how exactly that that affects the lending world or, or what exactly if it affects. But I know that, you know, in general, they are starting to loosen, loosen the lending regulation uh, mm-hmm. a bit. Correct. I mean, yeah, we've loosening the regulations. Um, other than that, things are still going steady. Um, unless they change a lot, I'm not going to be too afraid of an impending uh, crash. But um, the last seven, eight years have pretty much been all 30-year fixed loans or, or uh, uh, some adjustable rate. But these adjustable rates aren't like the ones that were done in, in 2002 to, to five or six. They're mainly principal and interest adjustable rate loans. They don't jump huge payments like the ones that were done in the past, which right. caused the huge, uh, the Great Recession. Yes, yes, yes. And now even also, uh, of course, the Federal Reserve is is uh, starting to prop uh, interest rates up a little bit. Uh, that doesn't necessarily affect the mortgage lending rate, does it? Or how do you guys, how do you guys benchmark? Um, we benchmark mainly off the bonds. So to accurately look at the pricing on mortgages, you would either have to have bond trading tools or to watch the, the Fannie Mae 30-year bond. Um, but a good indicator is the, the 10-year U.S. Treasury, which yeah. is pretty much available on in Google or Yahoo Finance. So most people can kind of get an idea of where the market's going day to day. If you want the exact, you'll have to watch the 30-year Fannie Mae bond. However, when the Fed does switch the short-term rates, that affects short-term things like credit cards, lines of credit, your HELOC on your home, um, of course, credit cards, uh, and other other short-term consumer debt usually affects like car loans as well. Right, but that has you have a thirty-year fix that has no effect on your thirty-year fix because it's fixed. No, right? no, it doesn't affect. Oh, oh, it does affect indirectly though, because if money gives you a higher return in the short term. You may move, you may sell your your bond selling you know giving you three percent to put it in the short term for two percent because that extra one percent may not be worth the risk of having thirty year out having your bond thirty year out so you may switch so if short term rates do go up it does affect long term but indirectly not not directly so yeah. not right away yeah yeah no I I agree I agree I wouldn't I mean with interest rates being as low as they are right now if I'm the one lending money as an investor. Uh, all my money tied up uh, for a long term instead of a low rate. You know, I'm, I'm okay with, with getting uh, a low rate of return and say a short term, like 28 day T bill because 28 days and it's going to give me a better rate of return than having it at any, you know, bank uh, money market account. So, so, but it's, it's all about just like turning and burning, you know, Uh, they're long term. There's just too much risk in my opinion. Yeah, and some people have to ask themselves, are they willing to wait 30 years to make one extra percent when you can yeah. buy a five-year or one-year note and make a half or, or two-thirds of that rate? Um, so they got to they gotta ask themselves, is it worth it? Yeah, I a absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. So, man, um, how about any uh, local laws? What, uh, so you're licensed in Washington State and California mm-hmm. right now? Yeah, some licensed in Washington State and California. Uh, used to be licensed in Texas and Tennessee, but I've kept those on the back burner for now. Um, although the company I'm with, we're able to lend in most of the states. So even though I may not be personally licensed, I have people on my team who are. So I've, we've done financing all the way to, to rally 
uh, North Carolina, down to Orlando, all the way to Texas and up to Chicago. So we've, we've done financing in most states, Colorado, Nevada, Arizona, um, through, through other team members. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and, and the laws, the lending laws, uh, regulations mm-hmm. do, uh, they differ from state to state, I imagine. Um, little, they're pretty much the same for the most part, although closing mortgages in different states do vary. Timeframes do vary and, and the way in which they close vary. Some, some states, as soon as you get your docs, the wire is in and you're funded. Um, in the Western states, oftentimes you'll, you'll get your docs out to sign and then you'll have to wire your money in. The docs come back, they're reviewed, and then a day or two later, they're closed. So there's a gap of time. That's just how we do it on the West Coast. Um, in the Midwest and the East Coast, there are attorney states, and they close a little differently. Usually, the day you get your wire, your 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 doc signed, is the day the wire comes out and you fund, and you close on the same day. So it's a little different in attorney states. Ah, because we here in the West Coast, we have the the three day the the right of rescission, right? Or or uh, the, well, the right of rescission is mainly for primary residences. So only when you refinance primary residences. But just I, I was talking about like the closing process in general on the West Coast is, oh, is generally how we do it. So when we do want to close quick, we always call it we call it like uh, an East Coast funding. Basically, is you, you fund it on the day you get your loan because sometimes you need it to, to make a deadline. So we got to fund it the same day. And since the company does loans on both coasts, we can accommodate to get it done quicker if needed. Awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So shoot, I think we're at the end of the podcast, brother. Man, I just want to thank you so much for your time. And then, uh, of course, um, man, just just uh, leave our. Uh, how can our listeners get a hold of you? Give us some last. Uh, sure. Give sure. yourself a shameless plug and give us some last words of, of wisdom. Yeah, my uh, my number is two zero six eight nine nine one nine zero zero. Again, it's two zero six eight nine nine one nine zero zero, and my email is Albert. A-L-B-E-R-T at albertbui.com. So that's at A-L-B-E-R-T-B-U-I.com. Thanks, Justin. It's, uh, I appreciate being on the show, and uh, it, was, it was a blast. Awesome, man. Awesome, brother. All right, well, you have a good day. And, um, yeah, we'll be talking soon, Albert. Okay, take care. Bye. All right, take care, buddy. Bye.